Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. You come over here and all those things be true and you're like, no, I'm doing great. Love the Lord. Great serve. But all that junk is there. You don't really get to move over here in a way that glorifies God. So if you're stuck here, I'm encouraging you in the love of Christ that you would be honest about this and deal with it. God will forgive you for all of whatever you are over here. The power of Christ is available to deliver you from whatever has you hung up over here. And just like he talked about here, he'll set you free. God wants us to be really free. He doesn't want you pretending to be free. He wants you to really be free. Is there a sin in your life that you're struggling with that you keep coming back to even though you know it's wrong? It doesn't have to be an overwhelming part of your life. God doesn't want it there. And if you come to him with it and ask for strength to give it up so you can keep growing in your walk with him, he'll give it to you. Pastor Bill's going to show you today that God doesn't want you to suffer in your sin, but to be free from it, to be full of joy in his forgiveness and grace. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 6 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. One of the goals of the discipleship that we do, by the time we're done, you know, we evaluated gifts and try to place people in some way. There's more than enough to do and even maybe some things that we haven't even thought of to do yet because we don't know all the resources that we have among us. But don't sit forever. You know, babies can sit for a while. They can't do much yet, but you're saved and walking for a while. Um, you need to be praying, God, what have you called me to do? And let me step out and see what you'll do. At least be exciting. I'd rather fail. I'd rather do something crazy and exciting and it just completely flop than to just sit around. It's exciting. You know, anybody here that's done something for God, that stepped out in faith to do something, it is exciting. It gives purpose to my walk, purpose to my life. And um, I don't know that there's anything like that. I don't know there's anything that will compare with getting to work with God and come alongside. So moving on. So we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we're not just dead to sin, we're dead to sin and we're alive to God. And that's important. So again, verses one through 11 to answer the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You cannot because you're not the same person. You've died to sin. You're supposed to be alive to Christ. You can't just keep living like that if you're saved. Now look at verses 12 through 14. It says, therefore, do not let sin, do not let sin, do not let sin. It's a command. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust and do not again another command do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but instead present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace so if I can reiterate these commands real quick first says don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies when sin reigns, that means sin is dominating. It's been said, you know, if you take two dogs and, you know, two equally sized, you know, pit bulls or whatever, and you're going to let them fight, which dog will win the fight? Well, the one you feed the most. If I take a week and I feed this one good, healthy meat and food, and this other one is getting some cat niblets, you know, at the end of a week, this one over here that's been eating real good is going to be all yoked up and strong and tear the other one up. That's like the spirit in the flesh. And some of us over the week, your flesh is on roar. Your flesh is getting TV and music and carnal conversation. And you're just feeding the flesh. is like flesh is super, super, super yoked up. 
And the spirit man over here is like, I can't even get a reading. We ain't read in four days. We prayed over one meal in six days. I mean, the spirit man over here, scrawny as he can be. And then when it comes time for battle, you're like, oh, no, why? I just keep failing. I keep falling. That's something you're doing wrong. You're not sowing to the spirit. Your spirit man is over here dying. He's anemic and just skinny bones, Joan. You need to feed him. That's why you need to be in the word every day. You need to be in regular fellowship. You need to have some good people to be around you and encourage you. You need to establish a prayer life. You need to fill this man up and make him strong and build him up. He'll be ready when the battle comes. And as you die to your flesh, right? The flesh doesn't die easily, but I'll give you my own personal testimony. You, you starve it to death. The areas of my flesh that were like, man, I don't know if I can ever go without this. You starve it to death. You don't toy with it. You don't say, well, I'm going to just cut back. Let me give it a little bit. You know what I mean? You don't do that. You starve it to death. When I first, you know, committed that I knew God told me stop drinking, um, I remember telling my buddy Curtis led me to Christ. I'm like, I can't commit to not drink at all, but I'll cut back. Instead of my 40, I do a tall can. Um, that didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work, you know? Tried that. Uh, what would happen after a tall can? was a taller can, you know. I'll testify honestly. I committed at times, I'm going to do that. I'm going to cut back. And I would get a talk. And after that, it was like, now nah, I wet my whistle. But I'm still trying to be good. So now I'm not going to get a 40 ounce, i get a 22 ounce. After you have those two things down, it's like, well, now I'm just going to go and buy whatever I want. And I'd be right back where I started, maybe worse. When I got saved, you know, God's told me, stop. Cold turkey. Stop. Just, Err. and that worked. It was very difficult. Very, very difficult to my flesh. Um, God helped me. The only way I got through that was the Lord's help, but God did help me. But God wasn't helping me cut back. God was like, you die to it, I'll help you. You quit. Now, I remember the first step was pouring out stuff, and I poured it out, and the Lord was helping me in that. I will be honest, there was a period of time I couldn't go into the liquor store to buy gum. I would drive by a liquor store in my heart. I don't know if you guys have sin where, like, I have a physiological reaction. I would drive by the liquor store. I could feel my heart beating. It was like a physiological draw to just go, and it would be a regular temptation to just go get a little bit. Your flesh wants you to make a compromise. Just, just get a small one. Just get a little bit. You know, at that period of my life, that something that the Lord was using was God had showed me what could be my wife. And I knew that if she ever saw me drunk, it would be over. She wasn't having that, you know? So I was like, man, there were times I was weighing that out. Like, mm, man, like I want what God's trying to give me. I don't want to jack it up. And then over here, my flesh is like, and so I look back and I'm like, that's one way that God helped me. It may not sound real spiritual to you, but it was effective for me. But my point is this, you don't toy with your flesh, you die to it. And the same thing that maybe in the very beginning, it's kind of like when you fast. If anybody here has done an extended fast, when is the most difficult time? It's in the beginning. First two, maybe three days. Your flesh is like, no, it's eat time. That first day, that's the worst day of a fast. As your body is saying, no, right, we eat by now. And as you go beyond that, it's like, no, no, we would have ate by now, ate again by now. Your flesh is on roar. It's like, you tripping, you know, and every smell, you smell everything better. You know, food is nasty. McDonald's starts smelling like, you know, filet mignon, everything. And that's after a few days, it all just kind of slows down, shuts down. It's like your body recognizes, okay, you're not listening anymore. The flesh is no longer running you, but your fasting is exercise of putting your spirit over your flesh. I am denying my body something that it needs and is used to having for the purpose of seeking God. And it's a great practice of putting your flesh in its place. Now the flesh is not dominating the flesh. Like, feed me, feed me, feed me. And the spirit is saying, not right now. 
Not right now. We're going to pray. Or we're going to read right now. And after you do that for a while, the flesh just finds its place under. And so if there's other areas of the flesh where the flesh is just raining, starving to death, don't make allowances. Don't give opportunity. Just shut it down. It has to be starved to death. The flesh dies hard, but it will die if you starve it to death. You just don't feed it. It will die. And so wherever your flesh is just, you know, giving you a difficult time, starve it to death. That's the answer. It will die. If you don't feed it, it'll die. You know, whatever your sin is, you just stop. And that's the only way to victory. I guarantee you there won't be a compromise. You won't be able to like, well, I'm going to kind of wean myself off. It'll never work. Well, I'm going to just kind of slow down. No, you won't. You'll slow down and speed back up. Um, you just got to stop. And that's where God will help you. And so moving on. So he says that we would not let sin reign in our mortal bodies to obey its lust. We're also not to present our members as instruments of unrighteousness. And so the idea there is that we wouldn't present our bodies, our members as instruments to do unrighteous things. And so everybody here can let the spirit put a finger on if there's anything that you do with your body. Your members, your mouth, your ears, your fingers, your hands, your feet, your body, any part of it. If there's any part of your body that's being given over to unrighteous, God says, don't give your members over. Don't let your body be used as instruments of unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves to God being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. And I want to say the second time we get this, God says, don't present your members to do sinful stuff, but he says, present them to God. God wants to use them. And there's a purpose. The reason why God doesn't want me drunk is because God said, I need you to have a clear mind. I call you to speak my word. The reason I can't have you over here fornicating is because I've called you to be over here married. The reason I can't have you stealing is because I don't want you in prison. I want you free to do something over here. God calls us from lifestyle of sin because he's got purpose. And so sometimes we get stuck in the don't do's. Well, if I give my life to Christ, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't have that, blah, blah, blah. I'm not recognizing that. Well, I don't do these things because God's called me to do something far greater over here. I'll miss this doing that. I don't hear Olympic athletes complaining. Well, you know, I do this regimen, I don't get to eat what y'all eat, you know. They know that it's purposeful. They don't eat like we eat. Their life is structured for just a medal and some acknowledgments from human beings they do this. God says, you do that for me, right? You'll deny some things over here so you can be more available over here. And over here, there's an opportunity for spiritual, eternal reward. Your life has purpose beyond this life. And so, again, the first one in verses 1 through 11, as far as why don't we continue in sin? You know, you cannot. Number two, verses 12 through 14, which we just covered, you should not. And now look at verses 15 through 19. He asks almost the same question in a little different way in verse 15. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Since I'm not under the law and I'm not going to be cursed and all these different things, should I continue in sin? Paul again says, absolutely not. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Rather of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Last verse, verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And so... Verses 15 through 19 captures we must not. 
Again, in verse 19, he says, um, what then shall we sin because we're under grace, not under the law? And he says, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey is that one who slaves you are? We don't want to go backwards. No one wants to go become a slave again. He says, no, we can't do that. We won't go back and be a slave. But again, he points out that because we're called to something greater, we're supposed to be doing something else. In verse 17, he says, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. He says, you used to be a slave to sin, but you obeyed the doctrine. You've taken the teaching that's been given to you guys and that was delivered to you. And now you've been set free from sin and you become slaves of righteousness. And I don't want us to miss that step. God's always taking people from to. He's taking us from death to life, from a slave to sin, to a slave of God, to someone that used to live to please their flesh and sin. God said, now I want you to serve rights. I want you to come over here and live for me. And I am really challenging us as a body that you would figure out where you are in the process. Am I over here kind of struggling with sin and I need to be helped here? Acknowledge that. Be real about that. Deal with that um, so that you can get over here to where now I've dealt with that honestly and truthfully. And now I'm over here to live. This is what happens in church culture. People are really over here struggling with sins, but I don't want to say nothing. I don't want people in my business. I don't want people judging me. Or you're just a hypocrite and you learn how to fake it. Some people say you fake it till you make it. But you know, if you fake it, you'll never make it. So we don't do that. Right. Some people just learn to live right here. I will pretend. There have been people in churches that are living together, pretending like they're married, but they never got married. Don't have a marriage license. Pretending. So even if you fool the whole church, you got to die and stand before God. Who's the fool? You didn't fool anybody, right? That won't stand. You don't want to get good at faking. It'd be better to be over here and say, look, I'm a mess. I fornicate. I steal. I get drunk. I get high. I got problems. I need help. Help me out. That person, God can take that person to do a wonderful work. They're just being honest about what they are. This is what I am. I need help. You come over here and all those things be true. And you're like, no, I'm doing great. Love the Lord. Ready to serve. But all that junk is there. You don't really get to move over here in a way that glorifies God. So if you're stuck here, I'm encouraging you in the love of Christ that you would be honest about this and deal with it. God will forgive you for all of whatever you are over here. The power of Christ is available to deliver you from whatever has you hung up over here. And just like he talked about here, he'll set you free. God wants us to be really free. He doesn't want you pretending to be free. He wants you to really be free. And then once you've been free from sin and the bondage of sin, all that stuff, God brings you over here and says, now the same way you gave yourself to that, give yourself to me. Let me have access to you. I want to use you for my glory. And that's why sometimes the people that were over here just, I mean, some of the worst sinners make the best Christians, right? They know they've been forgiven much. The Bible says who's forgiven much, what? Loves much. Been forgiven for all this, I love God. And then when you've been forgiven for all this and you start walking with God and you see somebody else, that's where you were. There's a grace, there's a mercy, and there's faith to believe that now you're not too lost. God will take you from here. If he did it for me, anybody can be saved. Anybody can be transformed. And God takes many times those people that were the worst over here, when they get right, they become awesome tools in the hands of God. Think about the person in the New Testament that was what I would say the most effective next to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Who would you guys say? Paul. Paul was a mess. Paul was responsible for killing Christians. I mean, Paul... He could call for the death of Christians. When he got saved, he was on his way with permission to put Christians in jail. That's how messed up he was. And God said, that's going to be my guy. He's going to write more than half the New Testament. I'm going to use him to save souls, start churches, train pastors. I mean, missionary work. But look at what a mess he was. But just as hard as he went over here in the flesh and in the world, 
when he gave his life to Christ, he didn't slow down. He went hard. And that's the other thing I would say. Some people were in the world. You went hard. It didn't matter what it cost. You gave up time, talent, treasure, you know, whatever. You just went hard. And then you get saved over here. And you're like, I'm not sure if I have time for that. You don't give God the same. You don't serve God with the same passion or enthusiasm or abandonment that you serve the world with. And so we need to be cautious of that. I don't ever want to be guilty of having gone harder for the enemy than I going for the Lord. And I went hard when I was in the world. I was full on. So it would be wrong for me to get saved and be like, oh, you can't witness to nobody? Because over here, you would spit. I'll talk to anybody. That was my thing over here. So God's like, now you can't go tell them about the Lord? Really? Now you care about how you think? You didn't care about how you thought over here? You know, you can't do that. It's not right that we would do that. Amen? Last little section here, verses 20 to 23. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So when you were slaves of sin, you were free. There was nothing on you that said you had to walk with God and be righteous. You were completely free to be in your sin. For it says, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end is everlasting life. And then that famous verse for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I would wrap it up with this. This last section here is I wrote down, you better not. So verses one through 11, should we sin that grace may abound? You cannot because you've been made new. You've been baptized into Christ. You're a new creation. Verses 12 through 14, you should not because now sin doesn't have dominion over you. You've been given over to the Lord. And verses 15 through 19, you must not. We're no longer making ourselves a slave of sin. We're a slave to God. And in verse 20 to 23, you better not. And he lays out in the last verse, the wages of sin is death. It'll cost you. What will sin cost me? Ultimately, death. Is that only true for the non-believer, though? No. There are people that are saved and die because of sin. Sin brings death to Christian and non-Christian alike. Sin will bring forth ruin. Sin will bring forth death. And one of the things that I believe the enemy wants to do in the life of the child of God, I can't take away your salvation. But if I can get you to mess up to where you're impotent, in the sense. Now there's no power to you. I rid you of your power, your usefulness, your effectiveness, then I'll go that route. I'm saved and nothing can be done to take that away. And I'm called to do things with this life. Nothing can be done to take that away. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable without repentance. God doesn't change his mind about what he calls us to be. But I can do things. I can live in such a way where I now, now I can't live out my purpose in Christ. I can't take away what God did, but I can ruin what God wants to do through you. And so, where he says here, look, you know, when you were a slave of sin, said when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. When you weren't saved, there was nothing that said you had to live a Christian life. You had no righteous rule over you. Non-believers can do whatever they want. That's why I always tell you guys, if you're witnessing to someone that's not saved and you find that they're living in some kind of sinful lifestyle, you don't bring up the sinful lifestyle. They're free to do so. They ain't saved. If I'm talking to somebody that's not saved and they're smoking a blunt and drinking a beer and living with their girlfriend. I'm not going to say nothing about that. I want to share the gospel. Now, my problem is when someone that say they're Christian are living like that. Then I'm going to say something. But someone that's not saved, there's no rule against any of that. They ain't even saved. They don't belong to the Lord. And so the same is true. Now that we give our life to Christ, that's when there should be transformation. And he asked a question, verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Think about when you weren't saved. And he said, what fruit was there that came out of your unrighteousness? He said, the things that we're now ashamed of. I got things in my testimony that I've never shared 
Don't know that anybody needs to hear them. Some things just, they're shameful. Um, they're parts of testimony that I don't know anybody would be edified to know. And so they're just left there. But I do know that the life apart from Christ, it is shameful. It is shameful. It's nothing to be proud of. I'm not proud of anything from that era of my life. I'm ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of the part I can share, and I'm ashamed of the part I wouldn't share. It's a shame. And so he said, look how there was fruit, though. There was fruit to your unrighteousness. And so now in Christ, there should be fruit to my righteousness. And if you can look at your unrighteous life and say, hey, there was fruit, and you look at your life in Christ and say, but there is no fruit, don't be condemned. Be encouraged that God wants there to be fruit here now. God wants you to move in this direction now. This is going to be a fruitful life. It'll be more fruitful. Just like that life brought death, there are going to be things out of this life that lead to everlasting life. Everybody here, we can be a part of the process of helping other people come from death to life. Family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, you never know the part you're playing and just sharing with somebody. You might not get to see it happen in your face, but you just being someone to encourage them over here and talk to them over there. And you jumped in and said something right there. You never know how, how that you might be a little piece, a little part of what God is doing to bring someone from death to life. We would get to heaven and find out there are all these people because you just made yourself available to God. That God use your life for his glory and there'd be fruit to your righteous life. And so that's really what we're aiming at. We're not aiming for some religious status. We're not aiming for some religious goals. If I could simplify today's message, I would say this. Before Christ, we were slaves to sin, to unrighteousness, to immoral behavior. But now that we've come to Christ, the Bible says we've died to that. We buried that old man. And now we've been risen with Christ in resurrection. This same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me. And God says, now let's move forward. I want to bring fruit from your life in me. Your life has purpose in me. I've called you to renounce these things, to die to those things, to reckon those things dead so that you could fully live for me. I want access to all of your life. I want to use you for my glory. I want to use you for my purpose. Last illustration. Imagine someone that was in a bad marriage abusive marriage, sinful marriage, bad marriage, and they're, but they're in this marriage. The marriage is divorced and it's broken up. You know, now as the marriage broke up, they remarry. Remarry somebody wonderful, somebody awesome, somebody godly, and all this. What God is saying is, look, you were married. You were married to the devil over here, right? I broke it up. I divorced him, kicked him out. I snatched you up. You were just a mess when I got you, but I married you anyway. I took you to be mine. And now you belong to me, and I want us to love each other. I want us to bear some fruit. And I'd be really grieved if you go back. Did we get that? Because the reason he says our relationship with him is like a marriage is because God knows we understand that. Those of us that are married, even if you're not married, you know what it's supposed to be like. Nobody wants the person that they married to be going back somewhere else. We want them with us. We don't want to see them go back to some old thing. They're like, no, you're mine. Now I'll kill them. You know, whatever. And God is going to kill him. So, you know, I mean, but that's the relationship. God says, now we're together. I don't want you to go back. But I also want us to bear fruit. Let's make some babies. We are being intimate with the Lord and God wants our lives to bear spiritual fruit. And so my encouragement to us, every single person here, say, I'm saved. Then in your salvation, in your walking with God is one of three things. I'm either got some stuff I need to repent of. Then do it today. Just say, God, forgive me and help me. I'm going to be real about my sin. So I can get real victory over sin that I can really be useful to you. And if you say, you know what, I've been delivered from those things and I've been really walking in liberty and in freedom, but I haven't really found purpose in the Lord. Then that would be your prayer. That would be my prayer for you. That you would say, God, you freed me from all of that to do something through me. Whatever it is, I'm yielding myself to you. No more excuses. No more fear. No more unwillingness to yield or walk by faith. God, whatever you tell me you want me to do, I'm a slave to you.
What a slave does, the master says. The difference is God being our slave, he's a good owner. He's not ever telling me to do something that's not beneficial for me and for those that I would do it for. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Bovington and A Transforming Word. We know you didn't have to come today. You could have turned off this message and moved on to the news or to a talk show, but you chose to stay. You chose to invest your time in learning more about the Word of God with us. In this series, Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Romans. In Romans 8, 6, we read, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You didn't have to stay today, but it might be the best decision you could have made. On the news, you could have encountered plenty of death, but here we're able to set our minds on the spirit together, discovering the life and peace that he brings. And we have more opportunities for you to set your mind on the spirit. While wait for the next edition of A Transforming Word, on our website, you'll find a daily Bible reading plan, links to our YouTube channel and our mobile app. You'll have hundreds of messages available to you at the touch of a finger. You'll also find ways to join in the work with us through giving and prayer. Our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. But there are other ways to find us too. We're on Instagram and Facebook. What better way to move your mind to the Spirit than to bring Him into your social media? As you can see, we have many ways to help you connect with God throughout your week. Oh yeah, and don't forget to come back here next time for a transforming word to transform your life.